blue skies cool. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Ready, set, go, right? You guys know the drill. But I'm changing it up on you again in an attempt to keep some fresh blood coming in and great news stories coming in, as well as that uh, different perspective. 
taking over the hot seat this time around is Mr. Zedge Emski. You guys might have just heard his podcast where he talked all about how he won uh, the all-expense-paid trip to Skydive Chicago for Summerfest. Uh, talk about an infectious personality when it comes to the sport. This guy wants to be out there doing it and living the life, and I wanted to take some of that energy and give it back to you again by having him take the big seat and start talking to people out there. So please, enjoy this this first episode with your host, Zedge Emski, adding to the team. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, we are back in the can with another edition of the Lunatic Fringe, Into the Void. I'm your host today. It's actually, I'm not back in the can. This is my first time in the can, but I'm your host today, Zej Emski, uh, and I'm sitting here with Greg Windmiller. So Greg, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Hey brother, I'm the man that doesn't know a case of beer. <laughs> first time. <laughs> How did I screw that up already? I don't know. It's okay, brother. It's okay. Uh... Yeah, guess, man. Yeah, I guess um, who, who gets the case of beer, though? I guess it's going to be Dean Ricci, the, the normal give, host. Give, give give Dean, God bless his beautiful ass and, and for everything he's done and all his articles and everything. I fucking love that guy to death. He's a, he's amazing. He, um, he, he truly is. 52 years old. Born on the same day as me. Great birthday, June 21st. Nice job. Longest day of summer. It's first day of summer. Yep. So, all right, Greg, who are you? What do you do? Hey, my name is Greg Wimmler. How you doing? Uh, I was uh, born a poor white child in the slums of uh, Germany to a military family. Um, grew up most of my life in Missouri and then uh, went to Mississippi right before I joined the army. Joined the army when I was 18 years old, straight out of high school. And then uh, went to a, a unit in the military um, where I was on a water team. We actually operated in and around water. That was our means of infiltration. And then shortly thereafter, I realized I hate the water. Uh, had a couple of run-ins with sharks, stingrays, jellyfish, uh, things that go bump in the middle of the night when you're swimming in the ocean and, and I got tired of it and realized I hate the water. And so uh, the only way to stay in the unit was I had to go to free fall school. So at a very young age, I actually went to military free fall school here at Fort Ragnall, North Carolina, um, was on a free fall team, stayed on the unit for quite a while, and then went to Fort Benning, Georgia to be an instructor doing what I do, uh, not necessarily the free fall, but the, uh, the long range surveillance where we'd actually infiltrate behind enemy lines, full surveillance, but we used the free fall as a way to get there. And then, um, after that, uh, went uh, joined the uh, Gold Knights, went to tryouts in about uh, 1999. So 2000 was my first year in tryouts. Uh, I think at 2000, actually. Yeah, 2000 was my first year in tryouts. Uh, went to the Gold Knights. And then about six months after being on the Gold Knights, they made me the team leader for the accuracy team because I went straight to a competition team, which you're not supposed to. Uh, six months later, I was a, the uh, team leader. And then not too long after that, like next year and a half, two years, they, they basically what they decided was style and accuracy was going away in the United States. So they're getting ready for the style team to make room for the eight-way team because back then the Golden Knights didn't have an eight-way team. They just had four-way teams. And so they wanted to have a four-way and an eight-way. So they figured it out the only way to get make room for an eight-way team is to get rid of nine people on the style team. And so uh, we basically uh, knocked the style team and accuracy team down to a very short, small group. Uh, on the style team, we actually did style, accuracy, and four-way. So we actually competed in four-way at the professional level. We competed as a SISM team. So in SISM competition, it's like the military games um, – we had to do style, accuracy, and four-way. And obviously, we had to compete against Hayabusa, which was really fun. <laughs> never saw what a gold medal looked like. But like my grandfather always told me, if you're not going to get a gold medal, get a bronze. You know why? Because you can't shine a silver up to make it look like a gold. 
<laughs> Metal doesn't say gold or bronze on it, but you shine a bronze up, it looks just like a gold. Um, no, just no, a lot of people don't realize that Hayabusa is a military team, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and, but that's their only job in the military. Yeah, They're deployable, yeah. whatever that, but that's their job is to represent the military in that aspect. So uh spent about 16 years on the, on the Gold Knights. Um, after a while, the X team, size team went away. Uh, I moved to the tandem team. I was on the tandem team for about four or five years. It was fun. Got to meet a lot of celebrities, VIPs. Uh, jump with shooting video, not say doing tandem, shooting video for like George Bush Sr., Chuck Norris, Tiger Woods, Brittany, like all these famous people. It's kind of fun. And then um, at a certain point, I started competing in small little swoop meets around the area. Old Chuck Blue, Charles W. Blue Esquire was running these little small, small swoop meets and uh, started doing okay. And then I started going to other little swoop meets. And then the unit was like, hey, why don't you uh, do this for us? And I'm like, well, you guys don't give me the equipment that I need. I need this, this, and this. And so it was a, a weird time. Uh, Michael Eichner, who's a sergeant major at the time, who also liked small canopies and swooping, was like, hey, let's do it. He's like, do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So it was me, Christopher Moore, who was on the Stonex team with me. Um, he, he was a former team leader. And then uh, we basically started the canopy piloting team in around the end of 2007. Uh, got the gear in, went to nationals after about a week of training. Uh, scored pretty doggone miserably. But we, that was our first nationals. But it was like kind of like a, hey, let's just go see what the rules are and see what they're doing. Um, so our first ever nationals, our first year, year competing was actually 2008. So we grabbed up a bunch of parachutes. Me and Chris Moore went to Paris Valley, California. Dan BC, God love his soul, hooked it up. And so we went out there and we made about 12 to 15 jumps a day, six days a week for two months straight. Wow. And we pumped out massive, massive amounts of jumps. And that's where I um, uh, ran into Nick Batch out there. Um, and he was out there hanging out for a while and hung out with us and gave us some coaching out there for free because he was bored. Uh, my first ever canopy coach was actually uh, for high performance was actually Isaiah McCoffey, who used to be a tour rep for PD. Amazing canopy pilot, probably one of the best in, in the world. If he, he just stopped, now he's making furniture uh, with his family up in Connecticut or somewhere up in there in the, in the Northeast. But he was like the first person in competition to ever land a double miracle man. Just a badass canopy pilot all around. But um, shout out to Isaiah. Um, but yeah, Nick Batch got coaching Nick Batch, Dwayne Hall, um, out of Paris Valley. Dwayne's an awesome human being too. He coaches for a couple of days, bought him a uh, half gallon of crown roll and never saw him again. Uh, just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but, um, yeah, I got, got lucky enough to meet a whole bunch of cool people and get coaching from everybody. And my, my, and my deal was, uh, my first time I ever jumped across race Canada, I had 8,000 jumps. And so, uh, we were like, hey, we're going to start getting this piloting thing, but we were so far behind the power curve. You had the PD Factory team, and you had the Team Extreme, which evolved into some of else. You had the Slipstream stream, Slipstream team, which came from the Fast Track Swoop team, and with Isaiah and, and Stu and Kaz and and, um, and uh, uh, Scott Roberts and them. So we were basically behind the power curve, and so that's why we did the whole six days a week, 12 to 15 jumps a day for two months, and then got back and like, you know what, we're going to hire every single canopy coach we can to come in and give us their different views and stuff. And so it was just just grabbing every canopy coach in the world we possibly can to come in and look at us and help us out. And then I remember um, our first winter training was January. We did we did all those jumps in Paris Valley, then went to Yuma, Arizona, and had Jay Maletsky come in. And Jay was like, obviously, at that time, like the I think five or six-time world champion. Um, and he held every every world record came potting and he came in and he's like, just be confident. Just what are your truth? Just be truthful. Like, goes, let's go around the room because he was coaching me and Chris. But he's also coached a couple other guys that were just starting to jump small rigs. And he said, hey, what do you what do you guys want to do? Like, what like what are your goals? What are your goals? I said, you know what? I want to get good in potting. I want to be safe. I want to be 
somebody that people look up to. And more importantly, I want to compete and I want to take your records. I want to be your <laughs> he was like, okay, that's kind of ballsy, I guess, you know? Um, and that was February, March. Um, and in November, I broke his world record in speed at the world championships and actually placed third in the world in the world championships, my first full year swooping. So nice. uh, he gave me a big, huge hug and he's like, damn, you did it. And he's like, but I'm taking it back. And he damn sure he did like a couple months later, <laughs> right back. And the next year I took it back at the other South Africa competition. So yeah, we just, um, was it, was this the, uh, the, the point where you started flying that latex gimp suit? You know, I was, I was on the style and action team and, and we do style. And so style was you exit the aircraft about 7,500 feet. You go head down and you dive, build up as much speed as possible. And you pull up into this little bitty ball and use your hands like flippers. You do like left turn, right turn, back loop, left turn, right turn, back loop. And you had to do like two turns and a flip, two turns and a flip. And they changed directions of the turns every round. But, um, but the ideal goal was like the world records at times like five seconds. So like do two turns, flip, two turns, flip in five seconds, you know? And so you had to build up as much speed. So we wore that suit, that latex suit. And so when I started doing camp out, I was like, you know what? Hey, this, this suit actually would help too. Cause aerodynamics and drag and everything. It was about the, after the first year that I actually started wearing it. And it was like, I got out of the airplane the first time when I really realized how much it worked, I got out of the airplane and I literally go to pull and I put my hand, my left hand started coming up over my head's counter hand. My right hand went back I go to pull and as my head, left hand is coming up over my head to my side, to my over my head, I started rolling over. Like I almost rolled over and got unstable. Like, whoa, whoa. And I'm like trying to get stable again, using my knees and my legs. And I'm like, it wasn't working. Nothing was working. So the drag of my legs and my knees wasn't actually keeping me stable. I'm like, oh crap. So I had to bring my hands out because it went my hands and like figure out a way to pull. And so I realized this really does matter, you know? And it's like jokingly, like the first time I wore it, people were like, ha, 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 ha. Second time I wore it, people were like, ha, 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 ha. Uh, wow. And third time I wore it, people were like, hey, uh, where can I buy that? <laughs> and uh, funny enough, like people were like, hey, where you get that suit? Where you get the suit? And a buddy of mine, like Jay, I'll just say his name, throws under the bus, Jay Molesky, he goes, because he's a fucking freak. He goes, hey, uh, I've got one of those, but it's blue, but it's not for Scott Evan. <laughs> he goes, uh, I just won't wear it because, uh, yeah, no, pride. <laughs> there have been some people throughout the years that have tried different types of suits for speed, burp, you know, and, and now kind of everybody's realizing with the mutant harness, whatever, that the importance of drag and, I mean, with a with a, a mutant harness type scenario and that type of suit, you know, somebody's gonna be undefeated. Like nobody's gonna be able. To, they're undefeatable. Um, so it's yeah, it, it matters. So I started wearing the suit um, for speed only, and then I was like, you know what, distance is the same thing as speed. Go as fast as you can. You know, going far, less drag. So I started wearing it for speed as well. So yeah, but I retired that suit in, a couple years ago in Dubai. It got it got tore up and trashed to be danged. And then, uh, yeah, but people make fun of the suit, but, you know, six world records later, nobody's making fun Exa of the suit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the sexiest photo I've ever seen of you. <laughs> the early photos with the camel toes. There's <laughs> oh, something out of the Czech Republic where I land and I stand up and this suit is so tight. It gives me the worst camel toe. And there's a picture of me and I'm like, holy Christmas. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was hideous, man. You know, it's like uh, it's like jamming uh, two pounds of red jello into a into a, sorry two quarts of red jello into a one quart ziploc <laughs> no, and then drawing a face on the ziploc bag that's pretty much <laughs> it's uncomfortable uh when we're, whenever we do style training where the suits we do like eight to ten jumps a day but it's like back to back to back and just no exaggeration i'd lose between eight to eight eight to nine pounds sweating in a day because oh. it doesn't breathe it was it was latex firm it had a felt liner and it was just complete we had to turn them inside out and spray them off and soak them and let them hang because it's just so nasty but but um, it was probably one of the most uncomfortable things you could possibly fathom, but it works, you know? Yeah. 
The only thing it doesn't do is it doesn't make up for a shitty turn. <laughs> but if you have a if you have a turn and something goes wrong and you have to get big in your in your in your course to make up like oh, yeah. mid, and not hit a gate, whatever, it doesn't hurt you as much. But yeah, it's it doesn't help you fly your parachute and it doesn't help your turn, but it, it everything else it helps. Nice. All right, so you pretty much created the Golden Knights CP team, and then you trained your ass off and started bringing home records. Yep. That was uh, one of those things, uh, Scott Rhodes, who's uh, at the time, he was like the only six-time eight-way world champion in the world. I was talking to him the other day, <clears throat> and uh, he was like saying, he's like, yeah, it's kind of cool, you know, the way it's going right now, whatever, but it's different. He's like, what do you mean it's different? He's like, well, we started winning the eight-way world championships during this time frame, and we did blah, 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 blah. and there was one day, like, we, w- we won the World Cup. And then we went to nationals like a couple months later. And at that nationals, we actually got beat. And I'm pretty sure we got beat by Arizona Airspeed. We got beat by Arizona Airspeed. And the first Arnold Star Major Warriors came in and fired almost all the entire team. And, and people think like, I'm so serious. And I always have a serious look on my face, whatever. And people are like, you know, and I, God love people are like, I'm just here to have fun. I'm just here to have fun. I'm just here to hang out with friends. I'm here to have fun. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not here to have fun. I'm here to compete. I'm here to win medals. Because if I don't bring a, a medal or record home, my job's in jeopardy. I can literally like, I come here, I take fourth place and everything. Wonderful, great, fun and dandy. I go home and I can literally walk in the door and they, hey, you know what? You didn't take home a medal or record, you're fired. And so there was a period of, I think, uh, five, six, seven years, whatever, seven years that every single competition I went to, I brought home either a record or a medal or both. And if, and I, and I think one time, like maybe like right before I got the army, like I didn't, I just gotten surgery in my shoulder and I went to a competition and I'm like kind of laid up a little bit, just, you know, kind of get back into it. And I came back and people were like, what's wrong? What happened? Why did you suck? What happened? Whatever. And like I got fifth place out of like a hundred freaking 30 people. Um, like I just got it. You set the bar so high for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I didn't mess up. Hey, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's funny. Cause like I, w- I would come back and they were like, Hey, wh- why didn't you, why didn't you win? Like what, what happened? And I'm like, I got second. They're like, well, you know what? Our name isn't the silver Knights. Oh God! I'm like, hey, you know what? Touche, brother. Touche. So yeah, in the beginning, it was, it was in the beginning, it was full out, full retard, swing for the fences. And I used to tell people like, hey, I'm I'm a member of the U.S. Army, medical's free. So like, uh, like I'm I'm swinging for the fences and going full retard every single time. Like, but buddy, my losing day, I say, different context, but like every time I finish that turn, I see baby Jesus. You know, like it's some something really amazing here and happen. Or something really catastrophic, you know, and I, I, I didn't give myself any room for error. And after a few years, you know, like I, I had a kid and, you know, my kid was getting older and I went to go pick up my kid one day and I physically couldn't pick up my kid, you know, and it, and it crushed my soul. He's like, daddy, daddy, hold me. And I couldn't physically pick him up because my shoulder so shot, both of them. And I'm like, you know what, I, something's got to change. And so I started playing a little bit more safe and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go for records here and there. I'm gonna go for medals here and there. I don't go for position here and there. And so like in South Africa last year, I told everybody on my team, cause it was like the top competitors in the, in the nation represent the, the team. You might have eight competitors at a world meet or world level meet, but only the top three from that nationals are actually considered for the overall country slot. Yeah. And so that's actually the official U S team. And I told everybody, I was like, listen, I'm not on the official U S team this year. So, and it's South Africa super high elevation. I was like, this is probably the last place I'm able to do it. I said, I'm just going to swing for the fences. I'm going to get a record. Nobody's ever gone at a world meet under two seconds. And I said, every single round, every single jump, I'm going for two seconds. I'm going to get the fastest zero you've ever seen. I'm going to set a world record where I'm going to hit the pond so hard. Don't even bother coming out and getting me because you're going to waste your energy. And uh, sure enough, um, 
Uh, and I told him like, I'm probably going to get a bunch of zeros, but I don't care because it's not going to hurt the team, but I'm going to go for record. Sure enough, I got, I think I got like three or four zeros. It was like my worst meet scoring wise ever. It put me way down there in the world ranking. And then eventually, eventually I, I uh, broke the record. And then Mario Fadaruso from the Italian team, amazing fucking competitor, I love him to death, uh, crushed it on the very next round. I think he beat me like <laughs> two one thousandth of a second or something. But yeah. But um, in this, in this meet in, in Siberia, I was basically said, um, I'm not an official U.S. team. I'm outside the top three, but I need to improve my standings in the world. And also, this is a qualifier for the World Games coming up, which is technically the World Games is our Olympics. And uh, I said, I need to get a certain standing. So I'm just going to lay it up and play safe and make the team. And after a certain time, I was like, damn, I'm playing it too safe. (laughs) I started going harder. And then we ended up not being able to finish the meet by one jump. But um, I got. I was okay enough to make the make the selection for Birmingham, which is good. Uh, one of the fellow competitors said, uh, "Hey, who in the hell selected Alabama as a place for <laughs> World Games?" And I said, "You do realize you're in Siberia saying that, right?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So I actually didn't realize that the, the 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 delegation is actually predetermined. I always thought it was just whoever the top three folks on the team at the end of the competition they were just the, the that was the delegation for competing for the overall country award it what is i mean like the top eight competitors in the nation represent us as in in competition individual competition yeah, but as yeah. far as the team category it's the top three so it's it's first place in place third place from nationals that actually the official the God, I, I thought it was the top three finishers at the at like so for, for siberia i thought that you were actually because you finished first among u.s competitors i presume that well, you're a for the world games no, I'm talking about like so um for like you, know, you have your combined national team champion, right? Yeah. I thought that the, it was just the whoever the top 3 from that country were. So like this year you you have the top score overall for for Americans. I thought that you your score would go towards a combined national team. No, it's predetermined. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. It'd be awesome if it was, but you know what it, it bit me in the ass one year where uh, I just had surgery in my shoulder. I went to Dubai. Um it was the first time I competed internationally since I had surgery. I told everybody, listen, I, I, I actually had to do my turn when the chest strap completely tightened all the way because when the chest strap is loosened up, it put too much pressure on my shoulder and I couldn't do my turn. So it was really awkward. So I said, hey, I'm in the top three. I actually I actually broke my arm four days before U.S. Nationals, and I still competed. At, I broke my tar- arm and completely tore my rotator cuff, and I still competed at Nationals, and I finished third overall at Nationals. So technically, I was on the U.S. team. But I had my surgery uh, and then like went to the DSL, DIPC, whatever it was, and I said, listen, I don't feel 100% because my shoulder, I'm going to hand over my slot to the next person in line. I'm going to let that person represent the country. And we did it well before the competition because it has to be pre-declared. Yeah. Um, kind of bit me in the butt because I actually finished really high at the competition. We actually would have won the overall country. But uh, we, I think we get second place that year, overall country. Gotcha. All right. So while we're on the topic, let's talk about the fact that you just got back from Siberia a week ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, eighth FAI World CP Championships. Um, obviously, they were postponed from 2020 over to 2021 because of COVID. Yeah. So what was it like? You know, and, I mean, let, let's everything about it. And I don't want to hear you know the standard swooper post competition um, lines. You know, like, it was uh, a tough competition. Me me me. I I me me. I struggled. My turn. Uh, upper wind. Zodak. You know, like, winds were tricky. The uh, performance kind <laughs> of Peregrine uh, did flew well. Uh, Sunpat Javelin flew well. Uh, I flew well. Uh, the winds were good. Uh, you know, and it just woo. Uh, you know, um, so we started out uh, kind of awkward. Um, 
so flew there and everybody knows like flying to Russia is really long, arduous travel. And there's no really good connections going from Russia, from Moscow to Siberia. So there's a big long layover there. There's eight hour layover there. And there's a four hour layover or four hour flight to Siberia. So when you get over there, it's like the flight's four hours, but it's four hour time zone. So technically you're eight hours later. And so you actually start your travel on a day. And then like three days later, calendar wise, you get to, you know, where you're going. So they say, hey, the official arrival day is day A, right? But you have to leave so far in advance that when you get there on day A, you're like been traveling for days and you're smoked and travel, whatever. So what I always do is I travel that day. I take the day off. The next day you take the day off and the next day I compete or train. Well, we didn't have time. And so a couple people went over there really early and trained. A couple people went over there early, like the eight-way team went over there early and got weathered out. Didn't get any train jumps, I don't think, or got a couple. But I went over there. I looked at the forecast. I'm like, fudge. So I got over there day one, which was the official rival day. And they were doing official practice training. And so I'm like, man, I'm jet lagged. It's okay. I said, I need to train. And so, but, but the problem is by the time we got checked in and I got there in the earliest possible flight, you could, by the time we got all checked in and everything, and we're like, all right, ready to jump. And it's like, they had already taken down like the speed course. So I didn't get to run the speed course. So, Hey, tomorrow's the official practice day. So I'm like, all right, sweet. And, but the next day I made, I think two jumps that day, um, running accuracy going one way. Um, and so the next day, they're like, hey, official practice day. Uh, everything's going to be going this way. We're good to go. So I didn't get to run a speed course. I ran accuracy, I think, one or two more times that way because that's always been my weak link. And then I ran like two distance runs, crushed up, had a great, great thing. I'm like, all right, sweet. I'm super happy. Day one of the competition, it's like, hey, round one, we're doing accuracy, running the exact opposite way that we trained, that I trained. <laughs> of course. They flipped the course around, which is good, actually. It was, it was good because that way was going like flat and the other way was going downhill. So it was a lot harder. So we're like, hey, we're going that way. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. All right. So whatever. So we ran a couple rounds that way and then uh, changed the speed, of course, which I didn't get doing practice jumps. So I was like, you know what? Didn't get to any practice jumps. It's a little bit of a downwind quartering push. So I'm going to just be safe and kind of set up deep and just get a score. And I did. It wasn't a great score, but it's, it's a good score. So, right, so next time I tighten up and just they kind of kept switching around the events. They're like, hey, we're going to do this. And then people get ready to the plane. Oh, never mind. We're doing something else. We switch, switch, switch. So a lot of jerking around. Huh? And I think we got like four or five jumps the first day. But it was, I mean, the only thing that was challenging was the event that kept switching the competitions on us. Like, as we're getting into the plane, you're like, oh, no, we're doing this now. So we had to go and switch plate, air, uh, switch parachutes and mindsets and whatever, all that stuff. So uh, we got done with that. Uh, we had a bunch of weather come move in. And then uh, I think speed, one of the days we had speed, it was like this tailwind and like two passes went through tailwind and the winds picked up and hey, it's over limit now. We were on a four or five hour of the way the hold and the wind switched 180 and there was a huge headwind. And so the people that were on the previous round, I think somebody got like a 2.0. And so I got like a, my score that round was worth like 60 points. Cause what happens is you get scored. Whoever gets the fastest time, gets a hundred points and you get percentage off of that. And I think my run's like 60 points. When you're missing 60 points, when you're missing 40 points, you're not going to make it up. But um, it was, it was good. You know what? The, the sportsmanship was there. Everybody was friendly. Everybody was just super camaraderie i think because of the scenario situation was going on but it was the organizer did an amazing job busted their butt to do everything we possibly could uh the meet director or the, the event judge or meet event ju director for us mary lou laughlin who's from the united states did an amazing job of trying to get us in the air the only compromising thing was they, they had to sing at this airport it's like turbolets which one of them about two weeks prior crashed and killed some people so everybody's freaking out going oh my god these airplanes you know the airplanes were grounded for a while so we had these airplanes, you had five turbolets, and I think only two of them ran. 
uh, but and they had these two and twos. But they had this thing, their drop was so massive and we were so separated, but they had this rule that they couldn't physically be dropping jumpers at the same time from two separate aircraft. So we had to wait till one event got done and then when we go, and then somebody else would go and then we go. Like I think Speed Sky, I think, was there for like two or three days, like not jumping. They wouldn't let them jump because other events were trying to go on. So yeah, no, I kept I kept hitting refresh on that. I was like, I want to see how Maxine did. Maxine yeah. Tay, for those who aren't familiar, set four consecutive world records on four consecutive jumps. Yeah, uh, you know the women's there was it, it wasn't a it wasn't a high goal to reach whenever like whenever there, there's young sport, it's like there's not a like the record's like oh I do this okay if you show up you just get a record but there was actually an existing record even though it's a newer thing and she crushed it yeah. and the next round she crushed it again <laughs> man she just kept getting better and better and better and I told her I was like. Uh, you know, she's originally from England uh, and she competed in Kim Potting for England. And I told her, I was like, I'm really glad, glad you, that you threw your tea in the ocean and joined us, you know, <laughs> pretty happy about that. But yeah, so proud of Maxine and yeah. Kyle, uh, Kyle too, man. Um, they just, they just did an amazing job just crushing records after every, every jump. It was, it was awesome to see. Yeah. But all right. So bringing up the sportsmanship thing, because I, you know, I'm, Personally, I haven't been in Poland. I'm friends with a lot of the Eastern Europeans as well. Um, but yeah, so there, there was a post that you put up on Facebook uh, while you were out there of you in a Russian uh, jersey, not a Russian <laughs> national jersey, but like yeah. uh, a jersey that we know that one of the athletes was told they couldn't wear. Um, <laughs> and I mean, you have like over a thousand likes on that post. It was shared like 40 or 50 times. I know there's some controversy behind that. So they'll give you a chance to explain what exactly happened. Um, Senator, I do not recollect. Um, <laughs> Greg, so, went a mail for Congress. Yeah, long story short, um, the competitors, because of a WADA ruling, WADA is the, the organization that basically drug tests, dope tests people at all sports levels, like all levels. Um, so there was an Olympic issue years ago, or what, a year or two ago, where a Russian not necessarily got caught doping, but it was the Federation that got caught trying to hide it. And there was a big issue, whatever. And so they got fined like $1.2 million. And their thing was they can't host a, an event for so many years. And their athletes actually cannot participate under their flag. Like if you see the Olympics that just happened, whenever a Russian athlete did well, it was like the Olympic flag they were competing under. And their, their nomenclature was um, NA, which was um, uh, non athlete or whatever, a neutral athlete is a neutral athlete. So if they had the word Russia, whatever, they had to have neutral athlete on the thing. They couldn't have the Russian flag on the uniform. There's a whole bunch of different rules or a bunch of different things. Um, bottom line, I have no idea how to happen, but uh, they were allowed to host this event, which was amazing. They did a great job. Um, but going over there, not everybody knew all the rules and especially the Russians. And one of the big reasons is because they weren't allowed the IC president actually wasn't allowed to physically talk to the Russian athletes to tell them, Hey, these are the rules, make sure you abide by whatever. And if not, the ISC can actually get fined. Like they like, cause they violate the rules. And so they, they tried to do a good job of it, but nothing was really explained in detail. All we know is that the Russian competitors are getting to get on a plane. One of the athletes, Sergey Nazarov, amazing guy, uh, was getting to get on a plane and he was told, Hey, that shirt, you can't wear it. You have to take it off right now. You can't do this. You can't do that. And he was, there was a language barrier there and he was stressed out and he was upset. So he took his shirt off. He got upset, went inside, took him and he told his teammates, Hey, we're not allowed to do this. And they're all like, what the heck? And so it was, and at the time it was, it was demeaning to him. He was embarrassed and he was upset and then he's going to he's going to go compete, you know? So this, this affects the mindset. And so, um, as a show of sportsmanship, I said, you know what? Screw it. 
And I took his jersey and I wore his jersey because there's nothing in Ryan saying that a U.S. competitor can't wear anything that says Russia. So it's just a Russian athlete can't wear it. So I did it and I said, hey, as a show of friendship and sportsmanship, I want to wear your jersey to show you, like, we're not against you. Like, it's not – everybody's not against you. It's just something happened. Something uh, happened in a completely different sport yeah. that's affecting us. We're all skydivers. I did it. It got posted. Uh, and I basically got my stuff slapped by the ISC president and – told that what I did was unsportsmanlike and what I did was unprofessional. And technically I'm a member of the ISC international scouting committee. I'm on the candidate potting committee as an advisor. And I was told that I'm going to be punished and they haven't figured out how they're going to punish me yet, which means I'll probably get removed from the committee, which, Hey, whatever, if that's the price, I got to pay for being sportsmanship. But I did it to show support for my fellow Russian athletes who, who are completely innocent and just want to show and compete on their home turf, you know, but unfortunately, um, I was told that what I did was deemed by the, by the ISC as being unprofessional and unsportsmanlike. So therefore they're trying to figure out a way to punish me and they haven't told me how I'm going to get punished yet. So here's, here, we'll see. We'll see how it goes in the, in the long uh, run. I, I would love to give you shit about anything I possibly can. <laughs> I love picking on you. You're, you're, you're just a fun target, but I have to like the, this in my mind, I was just a classy move. Like, Hey, we're all skydivers. We're all part of the same sky family. That's the only thing I meant it to be was, was trying to be supportive. Um, the way I did ter- verb, the way I did verbalize or explain the, the post was like, and I actually said, you know, I see president. So I said that they did it. She did it in a demeaning and degrading manner that was humiliating towards him. And he was embarrassed. Um, and, and by me saying that, that was basically pinpointing that person. So that person felt attacked. Even though they were attacked. So I'm just, I was just trying to explain myself as being, Hey, I'm not, I'm not trying to, and I had a meeting with her and I talked to her and I said, Hey, I'm, I deeply apologize. I spent the first five, 10 minutes of meeting apologizing, saying I wasn't trying to attack you. She's an amazing person. And when she was started talking, explaining to me, was, she said, we could get fined for this. We can get a lot of trouble with this. We could, this is whatever. The problem is she wasn't allowed to physically talk to the Russian athletes and explain to them what they could and couldn't do. Yeah. What she was trying to do is she was, instead of like saying, Hey, here's the deal. And if they violate it, yeah, they could be like, kicked out of competition or something bad, whatever, but she wasn't given the chance. And she said, what she was trying to do was explain to them, you're not supposed to, but I'm going to go ahead and let you, but she didn't get to that. I'm going to let you part. And the guy like, because the language bearer got upset, stormed off, took shirt off, whatever. But the problem is the way it was brought forward um, just wasn't, I mean, the guy was pretty upset, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, well, man, good, good on you for, I mean, you know, especially because there are, there are tensions between our countries right now. So seeing you do that, it's just, it's such a good message in my, in my mind, again, like, you know, I'm just one person with, with his opinion. Russian, Most of the time opinions wrong, but. Russian teams always had a good place in my heart too. I mean, in 2009, I pulled one of their competitors out of the pond and we gave CPR to him for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, he actually broke his C1, severed his spinal column. So it was unrecoverable, but we, I mean, we gave literally CPR to him about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so there was that and then i've gone over to the russia and coached their cp team their national team for quite, quite a few years and, and made a really close bond with a lot of them and, and i mean they're as far as competitor wise as far as the united states outside the united states the russian team is probably some of my closest friends as far as that goes but and the, again this new breed of russian competitors there's some kids in there man they're freaking rocking dude so impressive they did so well this year and i was so proud of those kids and um just to, just to see him doing so well. And it's new kids. It's new, uh, Constantine Kuntz and, and, and Serga Nazarov. And you got these kids in there, like, they're just doing amazing. I'm so proud of those guys, man. But yeah, I was, I was, I was proud to represent my country, proud to be there. 
proud that I could show my sportsmanship and my love for those guys and hope that nothing bad comes of it. But who, you know, who's to know? Who's, yeah, man. who's to again, you, you, in my mind, you did the right thing. You tried to be a classy guy rare for you, but you know, <laughs> Oh man. Yo dude, knock, knock. <laughs> oh fuck yourself. <laughs> this thing is tasty by the way. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm having some good old American Budweiser to celebrate ah, you cheers, guys coming back. Cheers. I'm having some Russian vodka and some cranberry juice. Nice. Beluga for your for your tasty needs. <laughs> How many bottles do you bring back with you? Uh, I, you know, I brought three bottles. Sorry, sorry. I brought two bottles back, according to the American. <laughs> <laughs> I brought two bottles, just two. Oh, so you know what? Because this always comes up. People talk about whether to check your rig or to carry it on with you. You had some issues on your flight back, right? Uh, yeah, we don't need to get into that. Okay. No, no. So what happened was, yeah. <laughs> so what happened was, um, let me try to remember what happened. Flight was delayed, a bunch of stuff. The bags uh, had a 17-hour, 18-hour layover in Russia. But there was a flight that went earlier. My bags went on an earlier flight. But because my bags came through and nobody's there to claim them, they sat in customs for a long time. And then they opened them up and scanned them and did the whole like, oh, wait a minute, there's stuff in here. Like there's an AED and oh my God, bomb. So when I get to Russia, they're like, hey, passport. They're like, hey, come with me. <laughs> come with me, gringo. And so I uh, spent some time down in the, in the dungeon uh, talking to some TSA agents and some uh, Homeland Security and some people like that. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. So I got that going for me. But yeah, talk about, talk about uh, people checking bags, stuff like that. The one thing I tell people that are checking bags, not checking bags, is like when you go to a place like, say, Paris Valley or Eloy or places like places in the desert, it's the fucking desert, dude. That green, beautiful grass there. Guess what they have to do? That, that grass heat it green. They have to the hell out fertilize of it. it. And the shit that they spray on that grass is what gets triggers and gets your uh, stuff popped at TSA. So I tell people, like, if you're going to put your rig on the grass or get your rig on the ground or get it, whatever, like have some way to brush it off, clean it off. I don't know how you how you go about sterilizing it, but um, most a lot of people, like especially like uh, Phoenix here, Sky Harbor Airport, and you know uh, places flying out of LA, whatever. A lot of people get popped for their their stuff when it triggers it, and once it once it triggers it, there's nothing you can do. Just relax, lay back, and let them do what they need to do because they're going to pop it no matter what. So yeah. plead your case, be professional. But when it comes down to it, if they say they're going to pop it, don't say no, you're not because yes, they are. <laughs> Keep it up. That's not the only thing getting popped. <laughs> Your booty hole when you go to prison. No, just <laughs> All right. So um, other thing we haven't really talked about, like you're, you're sitting in your office, you're wearing a Superior Flight Solutions T-shirt. You have the logo behind you. Obviously, we're on we're, we're talking on video, but nobody else is going to see this because it's, it's a podcast, it's just audio. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing a Superior Flight Solutions hat, for Christ's sake. So there you go. Um, so you got out of the military. When, when, when did you leave? Uh, I retired in 2016 after 26 years. Gotcha. Years, yep. Retired, got out. Uh, I actually started coaching in about 2010, just doing basic courses, individual skills stuff like coaching. And then around 2011, 12, started doing more high performance type stuff. But when I was in the army, like some guys in the army have side jobs, they drive pizza trucks or whatever. And like my deal was I just coached. And so I kind of stayed on the East coast because it was just easy for me. Traveling the West coast was too much hassle. And too long. And so I just, I'd literally leave Friday after work, drive or fly somewhere local from Miami up to Scott of New England. Um, on the East Coast, primarily, I wouldn't go really as far as tech, Tennessee is like as far as I go uh, west, you know. But I do candy courses Friday, Saturday, come back home, sorry, Saturday, Sunday, come back home Sunday evening on the red eye, 
And so uh, basically every single weekend from January to about October, every single weekend was booked with the canopy course. So I was running canopy courses nonstop my last several years in the army. And so the only thing different was like one day I went to work, you know, got my stuff on, went to work to go train and, you know, for competition. And then, uh, one day I got up and got myself whatever and was driving and I was on the road for about 10 minutes and I'm like pulled over and I'm like, shit, I don't have a job anymore. <laughs> I was literally driving to work and I'm like, oh crap, I don't have to go in. So I turned around and came back home I'm like, woohoo. Uh, but then like, yeah, two days later, I'm like, wait a minute, you know what that means? That means I could actually fly out on a Thursday, coach Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come back on a Monday or even stay Monday and work with the instructors. And so like I'd go up to Scotland, England. Friday, high performance, Saturday, basics, Sunday, advance, Monday, work with all the AFF instructors or team instructors. And then Tuesday, go hang out with my buddy, Cam uh, King up and uh, go fishing with him for a couple of days and then go to the next drop zone. And so the only thing I did was it gave me more days to coach. And so, yeah, I just, my business kind of, so I started my company uh, 2010, 11, whatever, but I didn't actually officially open my company and start advertising until after I retired. The hard part was like, I was going like, hey, Greg Willen Canada coach and Greg Willen And then I was like, hey, Spirit Flights with Canopy Coach. And they're like, who? And so I had a friend of mine, she advertised my Canopy course. And I said, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you put Superior Flight Solutions for the company name instead of my name on there? Because I don't I didn't want to be known as my company now to promote my company. And so she's like, well, I have so many people signed up for the course, whatever. And then she changed the name to my company name and people backed out. <laughs> and I was like, she's like, she's like, can I please put your name back on it? And so I said, so it's Superior Flight Solutions with Greg Wimmeler. And then people signed back up again. <laughs> they thought somebody else was going to teach it. I'm like, oh, so yeah, I've been doing it for a while. Uh, picked up Matt Leonard in 2015, 16. No, 2015, he, he made, uh, he won nationals in the advanced category at uh, CP. And then 2017, I picked him up. He's been working with me ever since. Nice. Love Lenny. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I mean, I've taken two of your courses, I think. I know. I think you did my B license. Uh, was it B license? Cross you keys? Did, yeah, you did my B license at Cross Keys, and like a week later, I almost hung myself up on the uh, on the uh, the entry gates to the ranch. I still hold to this day the only reason I was able to accurately <laughs> fly between the telephone pole and the tree is because I just taken your course. I made some bad decisions, but ultimately I knew how to fly my canopy well enough to put myself where I wanted to after I made terrible decisions in the air. Some people so, are like. Some people are like, what I learned in your course helped save me. And some are like, you know what? All I was thinking was, if I don't, if I don't make this right, Greg Wimler is going to kick my butt. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is like, if people take the course and, and I mean, no exaggeration. I get at least, at least three to five times a week, a week, I get messages saying, Hey, a Facebook uh, uh, email, whatever text saying, Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, I was in this situation and this got me out of it, you know? Um, but I've also been in scenarios where I'll show up drop zones. And people say, Oh man, I, you know, three jumps into a, uh, a class, somebody will come up to me, not in the class, go, Oh man, you know, I was wanting to take your course, but, uh, you know, I, I was wanting to do this instead or whatever, or people would come up to me and said, Hey, before the class starts, Hey, I really want to take your course, but, uh, you know, money's kind of tight or there's some other going on, whatever. And there's been like four times I can't, it's horrible. One of them was actually cross keys and it might've been that weekend. Remember the guy in the power lines? Yes. So he was like, he showed up 45 minutes late to the class. He's like, Hey, can I be in the class? I'm like, dude, we've already done a jump. We're already here. You didn't show up. The max is this many people. There was somebody on standby. He took your slot. I'm so sorry. Like the class is full. We can't do it. Like an hour later, that guy was in the power lines, you know, under somebody else's rig too. But I was like, Oh man, I hate it for that guy, but I can't hamper the people that showed up on time for somebody showed up late. But I've had people, somebody said one one time, it's like, Hey, can I, 
you know, I want to take your class, but they're doing a four-way scrambles. I, I want to, I'd rather, really rather do that. I'll get you next time. Right. And I, I want a shirt made that says, says, um, I don't care. Like if you don't take a class, I don't care. Or I want a list of reasons why people don't want to take the class. I'm out of money. I want to do this instead, blah, blah. But that same person, they're like, Hey, you know, I want to take your class, but they're doing four-way scrambles and that sounds much funner. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'm like, whatever, go ahead, have fun. And then later that day, that person got life lighted and had, had over a hundred surgeries. And I'm like, what happened? And then basically it was something so basic and simple as if they'd done nothing, they'd have been okay, but they did something aggressive to avoid something that wouldn't have hurt them. And then they got hurt even worse. So yeah, I, I tell people like, I don't, I don't run after students, chase students or beg for students. Students are going to come that want to learn to be safe. And the ones that don't want to learn to be safe, they're going to be basically kind of weed themselves out of Scott. Apple. Let's just hope they don't take other people out on their way out. You know? yeah. yeah, buddy. Yeah. So, I mean, you teach all different levels. Well, what is your favorite thing to teach right now? I mean, uh, essential skills, man, the basics, the B license course, you know, um, I do uh, give a shout out to, um, Brian Germain. I know, um, people have mixed feelings about all different kinds of candy, goods, whatever, but Brian does a class and it's two days and people are like, Oh my God, Brian's class is two days long. Brian's two days long. But you know what? I started, when I started teaching the B license course, uh, essential skills, I call it, it's like teaching like what they need to know. Here you go. Here's the card. And I was like, you know what? They need to know so much more. And so I start adding and adding. And eventually got to the point where like, hey, you know what? We're going to get one less jump, but we're going to learn so much more. And then eventually like, hey, we're going to have a weather day. And we're not going to get any jumps. And we did so much more. And I realized, dang, this amount of information that I want to teach that I think they need to know in order to survive, I don't have enough time in the day. So I had to figure out what I need to remove or take out or compress. But Brian actually does that. He does fewer jumps and more classroom stuff. They come out smarter and everybody complains about it, but nobody takes the class complains about it. You know, and that, I love that dude to death. Many, many props to him. And I tell people, same thing, Flight One, Kurt and Jeannie, Alter Ego. It's like, I tell people, it's whatever chance you get, whatever chance you get, take a kid class. I had a kid in my class, got in New England. And I was like, man, uh, Julius, it's like, how many classes? You, this, you have to see you every single time. It's like, how many candy courses do you take? And he goes, hey, nine. No, nine. And I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, man, I just like learning. So I tell people, like, what? whoever teaches, there's no such thing as a bad candy course, you know? Yeah. There's candy course instructors that you don't get along with clash personalities, whatever, but like, there's no such thing as a bad, there's nowhere you can't learn. So I tell people all the time, if like, I'll, if I'm going somewhere, I'll check the schedule and check the trail and drop zone. I was like, Hey, sorry, I couldn't be in your class today. I really wanted to, but it had to work. Well, I'm like, Hey, guess what? You know, next weekend at Scott of Suffolk, there's a flight one course next weekend at Scott of Orange or, or jump town, whatever. There's a, a, an alter ego course, you know, Brian's teaching a class in uh, Pennsylvania, whatever, you know, so I always pr- try to push people to go get educated. I don't grab people and try to pull them in. I try to push them anywhere where they can get education. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's I, one of the things people like too, that they don't like an instructor that bad mouths other companies or other instructors too, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, the, the first, you were the first canopy course I ever took, but you were the same with one. Hey, yeah, by the way, I think, I think and if it was alter ego or as Nick Bash that were coming through a couple of weeks later at the end of your course, like, Hey, by the way, anybody wants to keep following up on what we were doing here, take their course as well. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, it's also every, every candy course I've taken, just the, t- the style of teaching is so different from one instructor to another. Yeah. Even if you're working from the same basic concept and materials, you know, I know some people like they really click with an instructor who is super like organized and very classroom based like Brian. Some people want more of the kind of like, you know, feedback on individual jumps, work on whatever they're happening to work on. Like, and that's one thing that I love about different instructors. Even if you're working the same type of thing, you're getting something different because sometimes the presentation clicks better with one person than another. 
Yeah. You know, like I said, when, when I started out doing candy coaching, I had a, an accuracy coach when I was on the gold nights, Mark Jones, who taught me more about parachutes than anybody else, period. Talk about pressurization and how the parachute functions and like little things. You And so I learned more about parachute with him, but it directly translated to the small parachutes when I did start downsizing. You know, I tell people like jokingly, but I'm not joking. I had 2,500 jumps before I ever jumped a parachute smaller, uh, 265 square feet. You know, I jumped a lot of big parachutes for a long time. I fell in love with accuracy. Accuracy is my first love. And then, um, uh, as I started doing kid body stuff, you know, I realized like, holy crap. And I did my first canopy course, at 8,000 jumps. And I'm like, man, there's so much stuff that I don't even know. And so that's why I was like, let me get as many people, you know, Nick and batch and, and Isaiah McCoffee and, uh, Jay and, and, um, and all those people like trying to just gather them in and gather as much thought. But at the same time, I'm not trying to gather information. I was also gathering styles of teaching because I was an instructor. I was a podium instructor. Like I actually had to go to a class, how to be an instructor. You know, the, the military is like, it's ITC, it's start to train a class. Of course, like, how do you teach? Like, look somebody in the eye, like ask, pause, call, you know, all these, all these formal things that make people look at you and go, that is professional right there. He's teaching professional, whatever. But then I learned like to click with somebody, you know, and, and I learned more about psychology, taught me more about how to interact with people. Like I can look at you and talk to you, you know, and, and if you keep looking to the right, looking to the right, and the door's over there. I'm like, okay, we're done communicating. Like, we need to, I, need, I need to stop this. Not because you're not because not because you're done learning, but because if I stop communicating with you as soon as possible and let you go where you need to go, then what's going to happen is you're going to go, oh, okay, that was a good conversation. But if I start talking to you and I push it past the point where you're done listening, then you'll be like, I hate this person, you know, and there's a, there's a you know, and so like looking somebody in the eye and, and talking to them and finding out what that person. And, and if I say, hey, on this jump, we're going to like loosen our chest strap. And I look in the, and I see on the corner of my eye that there's a guy in the corner that literally just goes, <laughs> almost threw up in his lap. When I said that, I'm like, all right, I need to back up, slow it down, talk about the importance of it and why it worked and all this stuff, whatever, and overly emphasize how happy and smiling I am when I'm talking about how great it is. And I can see the guy's posture change. And then next thing you know, like the guy's like, where's the chest strap? I want to cut it off, you know, rip it off, you know, like, where's it at? <laughs> and so it's, it's not about the information. It's about how to communicate. The hardest part about teaching it's not about relaying information. It's about figuring out how to relay it and say, hey, Zej, check it out. Uh, there's a person on the right. That person on the right. It's like, I'm so proud of you, Bobby. You did such a good job. I'm so proud of you. You know, on the person on the left of you, on the other side of you, I'll go, hey, you know, good job, man. Well done. Hey, let's do it again. A, B, and C. Let's go do it. You know, and you, I'm like, hey, dummy. Hey, dumbass. Stop doing that. You're a fucking idiot. If you do it again, I'll punch you in the dick. You know, so you have to learn how to communicate with people. Some people can cuss around. Some people can't, you know, so like. Uh, you have to tone yourself and, and tame yourself. And some people are like, oh, I see you talking to that female and you're going, you did a really good job, whatever. We're like, oh, he's hitting on it. Like, no, some guys need that too, you know? But it's like, you have to figure out how to communicate. Once you figure out how to communicate on their level, their ears open. And when their ears open, their mind opens. And then it's, then I can start flooding them with information. But if I can't communicate with them on a level where I open them up, then everything I give them is going to be very, very small. They can still learn. They can still tail process it, but it has to be smaller increments. And so, yeah, that's the hard part, man. That's the hard part. So that's why when I have an advanced class, I'll have 12 people in a class and I'm literally coaching 12 different people with 12 different techniques, with 12 different drills, you know, with 12 different outcomes. And so that's, that's the challenging part. That's to me, that's actually the fun part. It's so fun. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, you know, you said 26 years in the military, but when, when you teach, like some some chuckleheads like me, you you know that I'm going to respond well to kind of that more military style, like, hey, dumbass. Yeah. Whereas like, and like, but that's something I've noticed like every time I've, I've seen you teach, 
it's kind of like you know how to cater that that military side of you comes out when it's appropriate when it works for somebody but you know how to also be that kind of you know big yeah. lovable guy that you are to help encourage people which yeah. surprised the hell out of me to be quite honest and every now and then too you gotta you gotta find that point you're like you know what gotta do it gotta do it gotta pull some my side and say hey if you do that one more time i will fucking end you i will fucking end you and you will no longer be so like that's that's the you know that's the point like and i've i've actually had it happen a couple times i think maybe three times four times at the most where i said hey come out here i'm gonna talk to you a second um uh i'm gonna put everybody in a break we're gonna back in there and when we come back in the break i don't want to see you again and you need to leave the class and don't ever come back because your whole goal of being here this day is not to learn. It's not to be educated. Your whole goal is to be the, the jokester in the class and try to take everybody. Hey, everybody, look at me here. Look at me. You did a jump. You almost killed somebody. You're joking about it. You have no seriousness. And I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to give you information that you're not going to use and go kill somebody. You know, I was like, my recommendation to you is, is you need to stop skydiving. You know, go put on a clown's hat. Go be a jester somewhere. But this is not the place. Because, and, and I said, you are going to kill somebody. I've seen it happen before. I've seen it happen more times you care to count. And sometimes, sometimes it clicks and they go, shit, I'm sorry. You're right. Let me get my mind right and reattack this. And it's happened twice where dudes come back and I'm like, I am so impressed by how much you changed what you did, whatever. And they're like, dude, you, you threatened to kill me. <laughs> like you threatened to kill me. You told me I was going to kill somebody else. He's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to kill anybody else. It's like, and so they click, you know, but you can't, you can't do that very often. So it's, it's the hardest thing to tell somebody is, is you need to go away. And I've only, I've only done that when somebody else risks somebody else's life and doesn't take it serious. And so I won't allow anybody to, to kill anybody else without me being the one that kills them. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. I literally, I think last week or two weekends ago, I was at a drop zone and I was sitting there with a bunch of the AFFIs and, and they're like, you know, I've never had the bowling conversation with a student and you know, like, Hey, you should take up bowling instead. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, uh sooner or later that that that, sh- that probably is going to happen they're like no and they were there they were their argument was that if you have to have that conversation you're not a good enough instructor i'm like and i, I was kind of like no there's just some people who don't want to learn who they're in there for the wrong reasons and i've always thought that that uh somebody failing is an instructor failure like if you can't communicate somebody get, get somebody new whatever that's instructor failure but you, you have to accept the fact also that there's people out there that don't want to achieve their goals. They don't want, they have no goals. Their only job is chaos and carnage and whatever. And when you have a discipline like this and other people's lives are at stake, you have to realize that sometimes, and I think I've had it once where an individual, like right before they got on the aircraft, they're like, Hey, a uh, 20 minute, the, the announcement would go on the radio, 20 minute call. And they just start crying. And they're like 15 minute call crying, get on your gear, crying, we're in the aircraft, crying, getting on the aircraft, crying, getting on the aircraft. I'm like, why do you do it? And you're like, cause I like the camaraderie of the people. I love the people. I was like, you know what? Let's teach you how to pack. Let's be a packer. Let's do, you know, let's do something else. Let's do something else. that doesn't terrify you because you're, you're the fact that you're so terrified is keeping you from learning and keeping you from being safe. Imagine driving a car, crying, bawling, crying when you're driving a car, you know, would you want somebody on the road that does it? No. I said, so what we need to do is one of two things. Number one, take you out of the skydiving component and put you somewhere in skydiving that doesn't have you actually in the air with other people, or let's back off and actually like figure out the fears and attack the fears and because that's not skydiving related, that's nothing skydiving. That's something personal inside of you that you need to address your fears and how how they hit you emotionally. Let's attack that and then readdress it, and then later on come back. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that person actually had a malfunction and cut away and actually land tiptoes off the reserve, and they're like, 
what? <laughs> and so, yeah, it's the, the, I mean, the, the best part of teaching, you know, I tell people, like, you hear it all the time, the best part of teaching, uh, second best, is when you see somebody doing what you're trying to tell them to do. More important than that, even better than that, is when you see somebody teaching what you taught them. Something even better than that is when you see somebody teaching something you taught them, but they put their spin on it that makes that person understand. And I'm like, that's what I'm going for. You know, people uh, jokingly, I compete in competitions and somebody goes, oh, well, your student did better do that competition. I'm like, yeah, like, no, 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 your student beat you in that competition. I'm like, yes, that's what I train them for. I train them so they win. I don't train them so I finish in front of them. I train them to win and do better, you know? And I tell people, like, if I was 100% physically and wonder what, what, and I didn't, you know, have my son to worry about, whatever, I'd go full retard every time. And, you know, yes, absolutely. I'd, I'd probably challenge whatever. I was like, but I like seeing my students do better than me. It's just, it, to me, it's rewarding. And that's, that's, that's what it's all about, brother. Nice. Like, all about, that's what Scott kind of should be about, you know, making everybody around you better and seeing them do better and being happy that they're doing better. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's supposed to be a community. And I've, I never really heard about that, heard that perspective. Like, you know, maybe you want to be part of the community. Like I, I know a couple Packers who they're not into Skydam. They love being part of the community. Yeah. Manifest. Loading the air. There's there's so many different parts of skydiving. Yeah. It doesn't involve like terrorizing your brain to the point where you're pulling out your hair. You know, <laughs> but, is that is that why the receding hairline keeps happening to you? Oh no, man, that was from uh, we didn't even go over that was from. That's me pulling out <laughs> my hair for for many more many many moons and years over the, way past that. No, I'm sorry, <laughs> get, I'm sorry, get grays. I'm I'm scared of that. I mean, yeah, officers and sergeant majors in the army make me pull out my hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pull it out, pull it out and throw it at them. Man. Yeah. All right. So you said you were you were training earlier today, right? Yeah. Yeah. Doing uh, training some uh, accuracy. Gotcha. So are are you pretty much just starting to get ready for for the World Games, or do you? Do you, nationals. Do you... nationals this uh, in October in actually Eloy. Okay. And then the World Championships next year is actually in Eloy as well. And so this nationals, U.S. nationals coming in October, is actually a qualifier for the world meet that gotcha. in uh in in uh Eloy. gotcha and then yeah so wait when, when's alabama uh 2022 2022 okay gotcha in like july or august like whoever owns that doesn't have a farmer's almanac or a fucking <laughs> thermometer <laughs> common sense but yeah it's like the hottest time of the year in the in alabama but I'm looking forward to Alabama actually showing up and going, Hey, look at what we got. Cause I mean, when you got people on a world level stage coming, like it's, you know, it's, it's, they gotta, they gotta impress them, you know? And so I'm just terrified about how many times I have to lift, listen to Leonard Skinner's thing, sweeping home Alabama. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you, you just got the Siberia treatment and I saw that some of the photos of the teams were taking with like accordions on like bales of hay Oh, did you see the uh, the the outfit, the the robes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we're, they were just completely turning into this skid that you guys were in the middle of Siberia, and I absolutely loved. It. I mean, same thing with yeah. Good. They wanted everybody. They wanted every competitor to go by there and take a shot because that, like, if you tag Scott up tonight, whatever, like, posted on their Instagram, whatever. They did a wonderful job with uh, social media over there. And they, they wanted all the competitors to do it. And they're like, hey, be unique, be whatever. And so we had these bathrobes. Um, we first got in our hotel rooms. It was like two small skinny beds on the floor, wires, live wires sticking out of the walls and out of the ceiling. Uh, nothing else in the room, just two beds. 
but this neatly folded towels and it's like this big fluffy robe. And so like every day they're like, you walk in there every day, they're like, hey, there's a nightstand that's like six inches tall. It's by six inches by six inches. A nightstand in the corner. Next day they're like, hey, there's a chair. Next day there's like a desk. So every day we got there, there was something different. <laughs> uh, like in the, in the, they're like, there was no screens in the windows. And, uh, but every single day we got there, there was something unique and something different about it. And so by the time the end of the competition came, it was like, it actually looked like a hotel room. But those robes were the one concept that everybody had day one. And so like we did, yeah, me and Matt and Jesse Wire, me and Matt Leonard and Jesse Wire did our uh, photo with um with those robes. So it was, yeah. Oh, it was also pretty doggone cold that day. So we were planning on <laughs> practicing freestyle. Uh, and then if we got wet, we're going to bring the robes to warm up. Yeah, freestyle didn't actually go, right? They- yeah, we just had issues with uh, weather and then we had issues like they couldn't run multiple aircraft at the same time. So it was it was complicated there. So yeah, we just we ran out of time and weather. Gotcha. All right, so we're starting to wrap up. Any like you know again because one still so, so super proud of the whole U.S. team. I mean, our delegation really just kicked ass out there. Yeah. I mean, like so many people coming back with hardware, um, core and XP, airspeed, airspeed, XP eight, and just all man. Oh my god, dude! All Axiom, you know, all those guys. Just did amazing. Polaris. So wonderful yeah. to watch. Yeah. Um, was like some other funny stories. Give us some some more hilarious shit that happened. I mean, you're in Siberia for fuck's sake. There had to be some more, maybe not um, raunchy, but. Oh, yeah. So PD or uh, somebody, USPA posted this picture of Jeannie Bartholomew and this, this uh, Russian lady, and they'd switch jerseys. It's kind of like a traditional thing. They switch uniforms um, at the award ceremony. And she's like, oh, Jeannie Bartholomew, like upholding like international relations. Uh, and so I posted a picture and it was me and this, uh, this Russian competitor over here and this other Russian kid. And I, and I put it up there and I was like, what about, you know, I was doing it too. And I said, well, there's a caveat to that. Uh, about 30 minutes after this photo, I had to choke that dude out a couple of times. <laughs> so dude got just hammered at the bar. Um, somebody irritated him, upset him. And he was like, went outside and he was trying to get upstairs, whatever. It's like, Hey, can, there's something going on outside. So walk down. And he was trying to get upstairs and he was like, I'm going to kill that person and whatever. It's just raging took off a shirt, like, oh, I'm going to rage or whatever. And they're like trying to calm him down and like, please, please give, they're like, can you please help us help us? I'm a big guy. And they're like, can you please help us? Like, All right. So I'm like, Hey, don't go in there. And then earlier the dude was hugging me. said, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Like a brother. And so like, so I was like, Hey, calm down. And so I'm, I'm like the only person he wasn't swinging at everybody else. He was swinging at like, a, like the president of Russian Federation was there. He's swinging him and the owner of the drop zone was the same guy. The owner of the resort, we were saying at same guy, you know, uh, just being violent. And his wife was there trying to calm him. And they're like the president of Russia Federation, which is the guy on the eight-way team, owns the resort rat, owns the drop zone. And his wife were like, hey, can you please like make him go to sleep? And I'm like, okay, here we go. And so, well, uh, you know, made a blackout a couple of times, uh, but he had to revive him. And then another guy was like, hey, I'll help you out, whatever. He's a doctor. But he's also an MMA fighter. So he helped me out too. But it got to the point where we made him, we, we put him to sleep so many times. It was getting harder, harder to revive him. Like, hey, it's not safe anymore. Uh, I mean, EMT, and I'm like, we, you know, it's can't really, like, we can't till too much oxygen for him. And I'm talking, like, two hours after. <laughs> oh, my God. He's still, he's still raging, like, Argh! like, there's no way he's not on something, you know. It wasn't, a, it wasn't, in fact, he was on something. He was just drunk, and he was really proud of his country, and so I said something humiliating to him, and he took offense to it, and so he was trying to kill us. And the best part was, like, after two hours of, like, trying to keep this dude from, like, hurting himself, like, I've got blood all over my shirt, all over me, you know, whatever, from him. And because uh, he kept falling down and I'm like trying to keep him from falling down. And like he keeps trying to run around us. And I grab his hand and like he's trying to run through us and whatever. And so like after two hours, like uh, somebody called his parents. 
<laughs> and do within 10 seconds like his head was hanging he had no shirt i don't know where his shirt went uh his head was hanging a lot of lips poked out and he barely space to kind of walk to the to their car got in the back seat and drove off and went home <laughs> yeah but calling, calling the parents that's what it took yeah. international relations i just don't i've been only had to choke him out twice though the other guy choked him out three times i only did it twice so yeah i mean was he bigger than you no, no, no. He's a he's a small guy, but I mean, no, I'm yeah. just curious because like you're you're kind of an intimidating dude physically. Like, he, well, he said, well, he he goes, uh, Greg, Greg. He was a skydiver. He was there. That's his home drop zone. Uh, he's also in the military, and he's like, Greg, uh, spit nuts, uh, you know, special force, whatever. He's like, sniper, sniper. He goes, maybe I hope one day you're not in my scope. Oh, I God. love you, I love you, Your friend. I hope you're not in my scope one day. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Uh, but anytime he tried to go through me or around me or whatever, and like whatever, I grab him. Every time he'd hug me, he's like, no, Greg, I love you. Please let me go. Please let me go. And so, yeah, that dude just, he just wanted, just wanted to, apparently somebody said something against, uh, against Russian competitors, against something, whatever. Yeah. He was just really uh, motivated to protect his country and, or, you know, his, his honor, integrity. And so God loved the guy for it, but. <laughs> Thank God for his mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've heard a couple stories coming back from, from, from the world where I'm like, all right, definitely can't bring those up. Not, not anything about you, just in general. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, it sounded like a damn good time all around, not just the jumping, but it was, it was a good time. It was a good time, buddy. Um, we had a, there was a, like restaurants on site. There was a, a restaurant site. There was just transportation was nonstop back and forth every 30 minutes. The hotels were amazing. Um, everybody was just competitor wise was just in good spirits. And even when we we're jumping, it was just fun and joke and having a good time. And everybody um, was trying to abide by the whole social distancing and wearing masks inside. And so everybody was, everybody was doing their part. And uh, they, I mean, they got COVID, they COVID tested everybody, like yeah. everybody. Because part of the thing was the, the greens was if they host a competition that here by COVID test. And it was like, uh, so everybody, you know, and like nobody tested positive, you know, but um, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, they, they did a good job by keeping it. And then when everybody came back, everybody had to get like I had to get we all had to get uh, tested in the airport in Moscow before we can come back to know from the severest. Um, but, yeah, we didn't have any problems at all. It was it was and they did a good job of keeping it from being a super spreader or even a spreader. It was a. Because, I mean, you guys had to get tested before you left. You had to get tested when you got on ground. Yep. You had to get tested on the way home. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And then after I got home, a couple of days later, I got tested again, just just for GP. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a. Uh, it was it was well executed, well ran. They did a good job, but it's, it's uh, unfortunate that a lot of competitors couldn't come because of travel restrictions. Like the Aussies couldn't come because they if they went over there, and I think the Brits too, if they went over there, they'd have to quarantine for like ten or fourteen days before you got to compete. And so it's not worth it for them. So they just couldn't come. So it's it a shame to not see them over there. Yeah. Well, hopefully by next year, all that stuff calms down. Everybody can come join us in lovely, sunny, hot, humid Alabama, right? Alabama. Alabama. That's going to be a fun one, buddy. Uh, I'll, I'll be down there one way or another. I mean, I'm not competing obviously, but I'll be down there. Yeah. The uh, canyon piloting area where they're hiding, they're going to have to build a pond. Yeah, to build like a raised up pond, but they're going to build it in the parking lot of a raceway in Birmingham, Alabama. So it's like oh, a that's amazing. Well, we'll see how it goes. But a couple people already went there and looked at the site survey, and they're like, oh, I don't know how you're going to be able to do this because like there's no outs. Like when you do your swoop, you have to come down between some trees and you go <laughs> left or right, and there's like there's no there's no really off place to land at, you know. So 
hopefully we'll, they'll work out all the kinks and we'll figure it out and get it going. Well, we got what you said, August. Yeah. Somewhere around there, July, July, June, July, August, around there. All right. So you got, they got almost a year to figure it out. Plenty of time to build a pod, right? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I did it in a couple of days, right? Did you really? Dubai, Dubai. Scott of Dubai, when they built their pond, yeah, dug their stuff out, scraped it out, got it done, had a bunch of drinking water, 18-wheeler tankers with drinking water from a, from a local water distilling place, pumping drinking water into the pond. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's amazing. Yep. Uh, the pond in Russia, the pond in Siberia was freaking amazing, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. They did a wonderful job with that as well. But did they build that for the comp? Um, they did. They did build it just for the comp. Nice. Um, but it, it's a baby pond. It's like a year old because they were playing on last year, obviously having to, having to meet, but no. yeah. nice. they did a good job, man. Everything, everything that they did there, um, the host uh, was just, was like top notch, you know, they just made sure they went above and beyond. And I mean, they added to your furniture on a daily basis, you know, every day was a little bit better than the day before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I, oh, uh, one night we were like walking around, like, oh, we're not jumping tomorrow, scrap, whatever, walking around in the hallway. And I walk by this room and there's this door open in the hallway and it's just stacked from like floor to ceiling, these miniature like cubicle type refrigerators. And so I, I was really I, expecting you to just say bottles. I might have been snockered. I might have been snockered. I might not. I might have been in, uh, uh, drunker than a nine eye necrophiliac on Tuesday. So <laughs> grabbed, grabbed the refrigerator, running down the hallway because I thought somebody was going to like catch me and running down the hallway. And I like go in the room and like Matt's in there. I'm like, Matt, I got a refrigerator. And he's like, blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> in there. And I'm like, hey, who else is awake? Somebody wants refrigerator. So I started going and getting refrigerators and delivering them to rooms. Uh, yeah, I turned the refrigerator on and like four or five days later when we left, uh, it still wasn't cold. So Aww. I think I delivered one of them to the team manager and she's like, hey, this has black mold in it. And I'm like, but is it cold? <laughs> <laughs> priorities, priorities here. Hey, buddy. All right, man. So um, let's say uh, we're going to start wrapping up. What is a, uh, how can people get in contact with you? Social media, superior flight solutions. I mean, we'll g- give us yeah, your contact info. You know, Facebook is a pretty common thing. Uh, my, my sponsors hate me because I don't use Instagram or Twitter, but uh, more just my website, superiorflightsolutions.com. I've got a link on there, a button, contact me button, send me emails to me and Matt. Um, and then I've got uh Facebook page, Superior Flight Solutions, or they contact me on my Facebook page and then I'll direct it to the other one. But uh, yeah, just www.contactme.com. Gotcha. Any courses coming up in the near future that people could try uh, to get on? Had a pop-up course come up, um, had an event plan that kind of got scrambled up a little bit. So just scheduled a, um, a course up in Skydive Silvolk for this coming weekend. Uh, Saturday is an essential skills class, beginners. Sunday is advanced. And Friday is, is a tandem canopy course. So I'm doing a tandem canopy course for their instructors. So basically it's just, um, yeah, it's just canopy course for tandem instructors to make them better. So they, yeah. All right. Well, Greg, thank you so much for sitting and chatting with us. Um, that's pretty much all I got, folks. Reach out to Greg. If you see him in your neck of the woods doing a course, if you see Matt <laughs> Leonard out there doing a course at Superior Flight Solutions, connect them up. I can personally attest to the quality of the instruction is kept me alive at least two or three times. Um, Greg, thanks again. Sorry about that, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for sitting with me again. Uh, Congratulations on Worlds. Good luck at Nationals out in Eloy, you said, right? Yeah, out in Eloy in October. 
All right, so good luck. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And stay tuned for more Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Thank Have you, a good one, guys. Thank you, brother. And there you go. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can brought to you, as always, by, that's right, NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Brought to you by Summit Parachute Systems. Head to summitparachutesystems.com. You can check out the badass pilot rigs that Jarrett Martin and the family are cranking out over there, as well as the incredible rigging courses that Jarrett gives. As for me, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com where you can find links to all the previous podcasts and both the books. We'll see you next time.